I'm Rachel Balducci. You're listening to Spill the Tea, a product of Augusta University's Department of Communication. Hi, I'm Jordan, and it's... this is Cole, and we are spilling the tea today about gaming. So, some things that we're definitely hopeful for are games like Cyberpunk. I like Cyberpunk. It was an alright game. I heard there was a lot of things people found, mm, I'd say, wrong about the game when it first originally was releasing. So many people like myself were optimistic for a game like Cyberpunk, and you may or may not have heard, they recently got a Netflix anime adaptation, which I think is pretty cool, personally. Yeah, it was pretty rough on launch. It definitely didn't hold up to the trailers and all the gameplay footage they'd shown. But it was kind of rushed. A lot of the fans did kind of demand it come out. Probably should have stayed in development a little longer. Probably would have looked a little better if it was polished more. It's just the only unfortunate thing is the polishing is having to come much later after people have already kind of lost some of the hype. Yeah, that is true. I do remember like when it first launched, me and my friend Jaden were... So looking forward to playing it. He had pre-ordered it, but I kind of had a, I guess you could say, apprehension about pre-ordering games because you never know what the finished product is actually going to look like. You can only see what they let you know about before the release comes out. And he was playing it, and I was there listening to him play it because he was talking, and he was like, I just glitched through a whole car. I'm somewhat halfway through a car, so you can just mentally imagine just two legs sticking out of a car like they're running in their sideways. Like, like, like the Flintstones. <laughs> yep, like the Flint. No, not like the Flintstones, because there's at the bottom of the car. He was the sign. It was like you take yourself and just invert yourself 90 degrees. What, like just magnetized his yes, feet like to the door? Yes, like just magnetized his forehead through the side of the car. Oh, his forehead? I thought yeah. it was his feet. Well, his feet were out the car, and I was just like, you know what? Maybe it'll get better over time. And they were like, oh, yes. It's such a, we're so happy to release this game for you all. And the fans were furious. They were like, this this is a disappointment to us. You promised all of these things, and yet you fell short. And that's one of the things that we do see commonly now with most game companies when they make a promise and then the fan base demands the game or they're looking really forward to it. They give into the hype. I definitely remember hearing when Cyberpunk was coming out, or once it had released, that they spent a majority of their budget on marketing, which is promoting their game like oh yeah this is going to be a good game these are all the features that are going to be had in it and they didn't spend a lot of it on the game itself which eventually did come out and show um, where that production quality really fell down at so now they're trying to make up for it by releasing a lot of updates patching in fact they actually fully refunded everybody that bought the game i think in the first month or two they fully refunded everybody for it they had a digital copy or a physical copy patched it and then if you had your receipt still from the refund they would give you the game back for free because you'd already bought it. So you really just purchased it for free at that point or a discount because it went down from $59.99 to like $28. And I thought that was crazy for a new game they released for that low at GameStop. But it's kind of unfair in my opinion because, I mean, it just felt like buyer's remorse, you know? These people wanted it to come out. It came out. They didn't have enough time to polish it and people were unhappy. And because of that, they started demanding refunds. And... I don't know. They weren't willing to give it a chance later on. A lot of people didn't want to buy it again after it had received many of the polishings and final touches. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where I came in at. I, I went and purchased the game after they had polished it. And it's an alright game. I give it that. Not because of patch issues or like quality issues now, but just because the game turns out to not be something that I'm actually personally interested in. Um, and I thought that was kind of, you know, weird because I was like, oh, there's so much hype about this game, so it must be good. And then they patched it, and I was like, okay, so if it must have been good and it wasn't, and then you patched it, now it has to be good. And then it just comes out, you know what? 
Not for me. Yeah, there have been a lot of times where people have been hopeful towards things. I really was hopeful towards Fallout 76 Oof. when I saw it. Oh, no, it, it was bad. That was my first, that was that was the reason why I did not want to pre-order Cyberpunk. Fallout 76, a post-apocalyptic game where you have to survive. And they have series of these, and not only they're single player, but this is one of the first examples that we'd seen of co-op survival horror, I guess you could say. And I was really optimistic for that because they said multiplayer. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've, I've always wanted to play Fallout with friends. Bethesda makes good games when it comes to Skyrim and Fallout. So I'm looking forward to this. Pre-ordered it, $79.99. You know, had to get that premium edition. Oh, you got the use paid the extra for it. See, the problem is it's the keyword multiplayer. The problem is people don't want multiplayer. They want co-op. They want a single-player story, but the ability to take one or two friends maybe. But the problem is, when you make a game entirely multiplayer, they have to change up a lot of its design to sort of focus around it being some open-world game where people can be everywhere at all the time. And unfortunately, that just kind of kills a good bit of its story, because you have to, multiple people have to be going through their stories at once, and it can just be very confusing. Meanwhile, if you do a single-player game with a couple co-op partners, it's still going to follow the story of the, the host. But it's not open-world. Eh, and some of them, they can be a little bit, but of course that can lead to problems with connection if everyone's just splitting up everywhere. I do understand that. But with Fallout 76, they completely threw that out the window. They took any story that could have been... Because normally, like you said, there's a single player in the co-op, and so there's a specific story that you're following down the line with other people um, around you. And it generally follows that single-player story. However, for Fallout 76, they completely took out any other characters besides the players and left you to figure out what story there was supposed to be with zero communication. You're just in a post-apocalyptic world. Oh, yeah, here are some tips to survive. Go. Yeah, the problem was there wasn't really... All the story was just had to be found from tapes and letters and notes and... Well, that's cool and all, unfortunately, I don't like just simply reading about stories that happened here. If I wanted to do that, I'd just play the normal games and just look through some of the old story. But the problem is, there wasn't really a story. There are old stories that happened. There was nothing new that the game introduced to Fallout fans, or even people that were just looking to get interested into the game in general. There was no new story or any story at all. It was just, here's a tape, here's a letter try and piece all these pieces together. Here's a tape all the way in this part of the map and then 65 miles away walking, because you got oh, a car, yeah, you have to walk and figure out, okay, this general area might be where that next tape is. And that, for a lot of people, is just like, I don't, I'm not looking for 65 hours of running across the distance, trying to avoid other players with nuclear bombs dropping down out the sky. I mean, those weren't exactly too common. If you actually launched a nuke in the game, it, it was a pain. You had to look up codes online. You had to find cars from drones that you had to shoot down, and it was just a pain. I, I, I was one of the unfortunate souls that uh, was running around the world and stumbled upon somebody who had just found one of the last codes. And I, was, I didn't have a good gun, so they killed me, and I came back, and then they decided to nuke everybody that was in the area, and so I just kept... Dying, coming back, dying of radiation poisoning, coming back, dying of radiation poisoning while I'm slowly making my way out of the radiation zone. And I was just like, this is not what I was looking forward to when I was looking to play this game. I was looking to be able to band together with other people 
and survive. Because, you know, who doesn't like a good game like that? Well, well the thing is, uh, it ended up getting better. Like Cyberpunk, it ended up getting a bit better later. Like, they actually started adding NPCs and a bit of a story. A mm. bit of a story. Like, there was a bunch <laughs> of little side-branching stories, but it wasn't like there was one big main one. And unfortunately, um, it just didn't really feel as good. It felt a little too little too late. Because most of the players had already left by the time they added it. Me. And even the stuff that they are adding now just seems very... just seems rather lackluster. Uh, they added The Pit recently. If, if you played Fallout 3's DLC, The Pit, you realize that it was a pretty fun DLC. Kind of very dark, very grim. But in Fallout 76, it just feels more like a glorified raid. Like, there's a little bit of stuff you can do there, but it's just a small area with just a quest that repeats over and over. And it's just... Got you. Yeah. I understand that. I mean, it was kind of like that in Fallout 3, but at least it was somewhat open and a little to explore, little secrets here and there, buildings, but no, not the case in 76. Just glorified raids. Just, just glorified raids. Which That's is, what the vaults were, too. All right. It's not what we're looking for, though. Most gaming, most people like myself that play games, we're not really looking too forward into that, necessarily. It's kind of, you know, looking for something, and then you get disappointed because the gaming company, they had a whole different vision for what they were going for or heard their community and still purposely released something different. A good example of a game that I was hopeful for was Babylon's Fall. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's um, a game by uh, Square Enix and Bandai Namco. They're also known for making out. Bandai Namco is known for Elden Ring, which is another from soft game. Kind of known for the difficulty setting, like the Dark Souls series when you play video games because it's like, ooh, this thing is really, really hard because you die and lose most of your progress. And a lot of people shy away from that. I remember when I shy away from that, I was like, I don't want to fight my way up to beat this big bad boss in this little area, get killed, and then have to start over to level up and try and grind my way to be able to try and fight that thing again just to get kicked back down again. Because that repetitive getting kicked down, most people were like, you know what? Isn't for me. But for some people, it fuels a little bit of a determination within them, and they're able to keep pushing forward. Babylon's Fall gave me vibes like it was going to be like that when I played the demo. And then I got the game, and I played it for a bit, and I was like, okay, this isn't exactly what I was looking for, but it's still a pretty good game. Just for the company to turn around and say, hey, we noticed y'all are playing our game. Thank you. We're going to now pull the plug on the game so you won't be able to play it online anymore with your friends or whatever. I guess you can still play single player, but there wasn't really much in the aspect of single player because the whole game was kind of built around the premise of you and your group of friends are going to go explore this tower and... At the same time, if they were telling us that they were going to be pulling the game from their servers, man, you can't play online anymore with your friends, they then decided that they were going to take it upon themselves to release a new single-player game because it was kind of like, they were like, oh, thank you for your money for getting this game, for one of our games. Um, that's nice of you. We're now going to ask you if you want to give us money for, you know, the next game. Thanks. And I, I thought that was really weird. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. While that was upsetting, I did get the next game. Oh, it's did. a single player. I did get the next game. It dropped, what, what's today? Today's 28th? Yep, it drops tonight. I, I'm probably going to play it. Do yeah. I feel like I just bought into the corporate greed kind of thing? Maybe a little bit. You clearly Maybe. didn't learn your lesson from the first time. I did not. Did not. Fool me twice, shame on you. Fool me three times, shame on me. Eh, it, will, it hasn't come out yet, so we'll still give it a fair judgment. Oh, yeah, I'll give it a fair judgment once the game fully releases. It's called Valkyrie. As Asylum, but you know, video game companies do stuff like that 
pretty often if you pay if you look at it, you know, they like either release something and it's not what you expect it to be, or they release something temporarily for a short while to see how their audience reacts to it and then completely go to a different route. Or they stick on what they know people are gonna buy into because it seems to be profitable and they just I'm not gonna say the word leech, but basically feed off of that for a while instead of making new content or adding something new to the game. Like Rockstar with GTA 5, the game's been out, I think, I don't want to say for sure, but I want to say it's been at least 13 years. It's been on the past three platforms for PlayStation. Years. Hmm. 13? It seven. came out in 2013. Yeah, it came out in 2013. That's where it's I came out 13 Almost from. nine years now, I it's believe. It's been almost... Yeah, it's been nine, because I think it came out in September or August. That's well, the I saw some kind of a little ninth birthday thing recently, so... Like by rock, done by Rockstar or by like a fan? Done by Rockstar. Okay. See, the thing is, corporate greed in general is just, I feel like, the biggest problem plaguing the gaming industry nowadays. Mm-hmm. And it's not just with poor products as well, but it's also some of these companies going on the offensive that really gets me. Like, I mean, Nintendo. Nintendo, they make some pretty good games. They still make some decent games that get people to play. You know, they, they got Animal Crossing. They got a Splatoon. My friend loves that. They got still got good Mario Kart games from what I've heard. Uh, but the problem is, I feel like that's the hardest part of having a gaming company. One of the easiest things I would say is just, you know, public, just just positive attention with your fans, you know, just listening mm-hmm. to what they say, having positive PR with them. But it seems like that's one of the things I struggle with the most. Anytime someone makes some kind of good art, really, or they fans want to hold their own, like, custom tournament, Nintendo always shuts it down. They always claim people's videos on stuff. They always claim people's art. That people have made these animations for their their stuff, and they've claimed copyright claimed it, so they can't make any money off of the projects they've been working months on, and they don't care. I mean, kind of to like not defend them, but to play a little bit devil's advocate in that situation. Let's you're a big company, okay? So people are making. I understand you make a lot of money, but at the same time, when you were a little smaller company, you see your original characters that you spent. Who knows how much time developing and then you finally turn that into a game like let's take example nintendo's prime what number one guy mario before it was a video game i think it was a weird tv show because i remember watching that as a kid or maybe it was a video game first and then it became a tv show but regardless mario's been there for their franchise the entire duration of it and then now you see people now that you're a big company you see people taking mario's name and profiting off of it but they weren't there for the whole journey of it and that's your i guess metaphorically speaking your child that's that's your child you developed mario throughout these years and that all the journeys that he's been on and you see people taking that and profiting off of it without either a crediting you and you don't always want to spend the time to always look into if they're crediting you or not and they're not giving you any money for it they're just saying oh yeah i like your mario guy i'm gonna use him well, they do credit Nintendo, you like almost sometimes. Always. Well, if, if if you don't credit them at all, then yeah, I can see that. But I'm talking about people that have uh, people that have actually given them credit, mm. and they still take the whole thing. I'm and not just animations, but also just in general some of this artwork, stuff that they aren't even making money off of, but they, Nintendo still claims it as their own. Yeah, I don't get that. I don't. I mean, I understand where they're coming from a little bit, but at sometimes, like at some point, you, they gotta realize they're no longer that little company that it has to like defend themselves from all people trying to plagiarize or steal from them 100% all the time, they can still allow their fans a little bit of leeway to be able to ex- to explore themselves and also, you know, show their appreciation for the company in a different way. Because for some people, it's like, hey, I really like Mario, so I'm going to make an animation about him, not because I want to profit off of it, but just because I enjoy 
playing Mario and I enjoy the character because that's who, for some people, they've known Mario their entire lives. Like my mom, she was like, I missed the little Super Nintendo Entertainment System from, I think it was the 70s, and I was like, I'm going to look into getting you one. Those things were like hundreds of dollars still to this day, and I'm like, I know it wasn't that much back when you were a kid, but people love some of their gaming companies a lot, and I can understand that because there's a respect that comes with those characters that you've seen develop through your childhood. Um, for game companies like Nintendo, they are a little strict on, they are strict on their fans when it comes to tournaments and profiting off of their projects on the side. Um, however, they're a big company. They, I understand it's a little difficult for them to listen to their fans all the time because, you know, when you're a small company, it's easy because you're like, you got that emotion into it. You've got emotional investments, personal investments, time, effort, money, usually coming out of your pocket to go into this thing. And it's nice to see people actually appreciate it. But then once you start to grow because so many people start to appreciate it, it starts to become a little bit more difficult, honestly, I feel like, for them to really be able to listen to all of their fans because you have billions of people now Maybe before it was a couple thousand, but now you have millions, if not like Nintendo, worldwide. I know, they, they are. They, they got people in Japan right now having a festival for Nintendo. So it's a little difficult to listen to all of your fans globally, take all their opinions into consideration, and be like, okay, this is the decision we're going to make going forward. And to do that on a daily basis, if not within a couple span of a couple of minutes, because sometimes you got press conferences when they have to get interviewed and be like, oh, yeah. What direction are you going with this game? Well, the team might have one idea, but the millions of fans globally might have completely other ones. And I feel like that's that's the that's that small big company where you have to start you start seeing a little bit of a trade off with their personal relations that they have with their fans. Because like it's not that they so for some companies it might be, but for some of them they're like, hey, it's not that we don't want to connect with y'all anymore. It's just we don't we we need time to do that because if we're going to listen to y'all, there's a lot of y'all that we want to listen to. And we want to hear what all of you has to say. No, but I think like one of the issues is just actions speak louder than words. And mm -hmm. while they can say that they care a good bit about their fans, when they're actively shutting down tournaments for the game that has nothing to do with Nintendo, but people still just making their own little fan tournaments and they're trying to shut down the tournaments to not let people do it, what's the reason for that? Like, is Nintendo really going to lose anything from it? Or then they hold a tournament and then all they give them as a prize is just some gift cards for their own products, which... Uh, according to some of these uh, posts from the gaming uh, group that actually won, they had not actually received their gift card. Or in that specific example of the copyright claim, um, there's a story that kept getting passed around back in June about a person who made a, some kind of Nintendo-type song or some kind of music that had over 500 copyright strikes from Nintendo for that one thing. Wow. 500 copyright strikes. You know, just in case the first one didn't. I mean, just, just get the first two or three, you know, didn't click in that person's mind. Hey, all of these, I need you to get rid of them. They're not yours. So it's like you can say that maybe they can't get around to everyone, but when I see them going that much on the offensive, mm -hmm. instead of defensive. actions speak louder than words. You're not wrong. I uh, that. Some of these companies just get so much of a big head that they think they can just get away with doing anything. Well, in that case, that was some, you know, their product. So I, I am a little bit more understanding to that. But some companies just straight up do not care. Activision Blizzard oh, yeah. straight up stole people's art more than once, by the way, two times. Mm -hmm. But one of the more recent examples was when someone made uh, an entire concept art for a character in uh, Call of Duty Vanguard. It was some Samoyan dog. And uh, they straight up used it, didn't give him any kind of credit, and didn't pay him for it. Just yeah. used they it. Just, they just said, oh, thank you. You like our game? You made an art for it for a 
a whole new operator, great. We're going to use that. And that's not their skin. It's not their costume. It's not their person to use. That That's an original, I guess, concept that that artist made. And they did use some reference, I guess, from the game itself. It's like, okay, I like playing the game. Cool. Let me just make an original character that kind of has some influences from the game, but it's not a direct take from it. And yet Activision Blizzard said, oh, yeah, I'm going to take from you because, I mean, what, what are you going to do about it? And as we've seen with, and that's not the first time Activision Blizzard, if I can recall correctly, has done something like that. That's just the most recent one that we were able to find. Well, Activision, well, it yeah, previously, times, right? I believe they had stolen some other YouTuber's character. Yeah, that's what it was. Okay, yeah, so they, they have a history of taking from small artists and then implementing it into the game without crediting or, pro or allowing any profit or revenue to go back towards that um, artist. I mean, they're a big company. They could afford to be like, hey, we like your artwork that you made of a character that we would like to put in our game. Can we talk? Or can we hire you? That that could have been a job position. That like you know, developing characters and with different appearances, that could have been a job position. Honestly, at the bare minimum, I feel like they should have at least given him credit for it. Said like, hey, we decided to use this amazing artwork uh, made by this creator. Yeah, they could have at least gave some kind of credit. I understand you on that point. That is definitely correct. Yeah, and then you have all these examples of companies just not really caring, or some of these companies trying to put microtransactions to squeeze every last little bit of cash out of their fans that they can. Of course, a lot of it is optional, but the problem is that they really try to push for it. Once again, going back to Fallout 76, um, a lot of the game's uh, requirements is for um, a survival aspect. You know, you need mm -hmm. to maintain your weapons to make sure they don't break. You need to make sure you, you eat and you, you drink stuff. Well, how about instead, if you pay some real life money, you can get these repair kits, which will instantly fix your weapons to full condition. Or you can get this amazing gum that will prevent you from ever going hungry as long as you're chewing it. Or all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, the microtransactions are a huge part of video games now. And I remember correctly, it's a Unity, a Unity CEO. He recently, I guess, had to apologize because he called developers idiots. To put it in nice terms, he called them really, really stupid idiot you can't say on here yes because they don't charge people microtransactions in their games which is basically a pay-to-win system or uh improves your experience gaming experience kind of thing for real life money i thought that was wild that he i thought that was weird that he called them idiots for that because it's honestly a decision made by the company or the developers themselves and i feel like developers that decide not to feed into that because they want gamers to get the full experience that they can from the game and not necessarily feel like, oh, if I put my, more money into this, because I've already bought the game, if I put more money into it, it'll make my life or my gaming experience so much better. Well, why couldn't the game just have that experience already in it, you know? Quality over quantity. Yes. But unfortunately to him, he believes that anyone who decides to use quality over quantity is simply an idiot. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Considering he came from the game company EA, one that's well known for oh, yeah, putting for the DLC, mm -hmm. The Sims 4, they're one of their more recent games, over $1,000 worth of DLC packs. Over $1,000. They've got different stories, though. No, one of them is just to add pets. Just to add pets, it costs, I think, the same price as the game itself. Just to add animals and pets to the game. You have to pay the price of the game itself. I think it was 40 bucks. Just for mm. pets. Just for pets. And some people will go that far, though. And then they have, like, 20 uh, skins and 20 packs for holidays and seasonal things. And Well, that's good and all. Why didn't you just put all the seasons into one, maybe? 
Come on, the game when you had the time. These aren't new ideas that you came up with. Even the first few I could see slide, like, oh, we didn't have the programming or the ability to put pets in yet. But, you know, over time, it's like, you kind of got to realize what can you and can't you make a DLC or make people pay for? And what are things that should have been critical or crucial components of your game from the very beginning? Well, yeah, I mean, that's one thing that's really important. They just need to release things when the thing is originally coming out. Like, they need to have all the content in there and not release it later. Or if they are going to release it later, they better make sure that it's good and it has everything. They just need to make sure, instead of make, releasing it when it's, re- when it's due date it comes up, instead of giving me the due date, just release it and let, it know, let us know, hey, it's ready, sorry for the wait. It's just all about communication, really. And speaking of communication, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for tuning in to Spill the Tea. Thank you.